Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. My name is Beth Givens, and I'm the pastor at Wellborn United Methodist Church in Richmond, Virginia. In the wake of George Floyd's death and the rising conversations about race and policing in the United States, we at Wellborn, a predominantly white congregation, were looking for ways to have conversation about these issues because understanding is the starting point for transformation. We decided that creating this podcast might be a good first step, especially after one of our small groups liked Emmanuel Acho's series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, which I encourage you to also check out. So, thanks for joining us for this episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with Each Other about Race. Emily, it is so good to see you um, after all this um, time apart. And thank you for joining in this conversation today as we continue to think about um, how it is that we have uncomfortable conversations with each other or um, at the very least conversations that are that are just hard sometimes yeah. talk about race. Um, so start by just, you know, introducing yourself to folks who are listening. Um, you know, what decade of life are you in? Where'd you grow up? Um, how long you've been around Wellborn? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm Emily Knapp. Um, I'm 30 years old this year. Well, as of last September. <laughs> um, I grew up actually in the Baltimore, Maryland area, um, outside of Baltimore until, until college. And then I came down here for college at Randolph-Macon and stayed. <laughs> um, I did one year in grad school up in Maryland again, and then, and then moved back down here. So I've been here now for like 10 years. Um, and well-born, um, I'd say like since membership, it's been what a year now, <laughs> um, but I had been coming coming for a couple years, uh, but before that as yeah. well. Yeah, awesome. And you're also connected with Old Wellborn. What's your yeah. what's your connection there? Uh, my husband, um, his grandmother was Ina Swank, um, and I know she and George were a big part of Wellborn, and so that was a really nice connection that you know. Part of the reason that I ended up coming to Wellborn was because we had that connection. It drew me, drew me there. Awesome. And let's see, you're a teacher yeah. um, by profession, in addition to being the mom of two very busy twin boys. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. So, and if you had to check a box on the census to say what your race is, yeah. what box would you check? White, Caucasian. Yeah. Whatever the a white, white lady <laughs> the term is. Yeah. yeah. So do you have a story from your life um, about, about race that, that really sticks with you? Um, you know, I have, <laughs> I have a couple of little stories. Um, being a white person, you know, I have not experienced racism um, myself, but, you know, I have experiences just seeing it um, and just my own experiences and what, in how I, um, you know, yeah, just saw it and what I was thinking about race as I grew up and everything. So, yeah. um, so first of all, uh, pretty much 
I didn't have a lot of um, exposure to just issues of race, probably not until high school and college, and then even more, even more in college and grad school. Um, but where I grew up outside of Baltimore, the suburb that I grew up in, there it was predominantly white. Um, we had um, a Hispanic community there, and we had um, a Russian immigrant community, actually, a pretty big one there that my church growing up got involved in trying to help um, immigrants, you know, get themselves going, get started in society and everything. So, um, and so I think my first kind of exposure or experience with not necessarily even race, but, but kind of, but also just people that were less privileged than me is my parents, um, what we actually kind of became friends with, um, a Russian uh, immigrant family. I'll never forget the, their names, Sasha and Olga were the parents' names, and they had two little girls who were a little bit older than me. But um, we would actually go over their, their apartment and like bring them food and hang out and I remember seeing, you know, how they lived versus how I lived. And that was kind of my first exposure to like, wow, I'm really lucky, <laughs> like recognizing how much I had back then. I think that was a good place to start because <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't get that comparison, um, you know, to see how other people live or people are less fortunate or less privileged than they are. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, we, I, I think I only had a couple of black kids in my school, I, two actually, I went to a small Catholic school, so we didn't have many kids, but only two of them were black. And I remember just thinking, like, there are only, wow, there are only two, like, why are there only two? You know, that's pretty much the only thought I remember having. Um, I remember then in high school, um, I went to a all-girls Catholic school, but it was in Baltimore. So then there were, it was a more diverse school, like big time. We, I think I'd say maybe almost 25% African-American in, yeah. in, I don't know if the whole school or my class, but so uh, um, that was probably my first time just experiencing, seeing um, more <laughs> differences. And, um, and I remember not thinking a lot of it, but that at lunch, um, I noticed that all the white girls sat together and then the, all the black girls sat together. And it was kind of like this self-segregated thing. And I remember thinking that was a little bit weird, but by the end of high school, I, everybody kind of started to in intermingle as everybody became part of, you know, athletic teams and groups and things and then people it wasn't so segregated, but I just I remember being like, this is weird. <laughs> and why is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then college, um, just, you know, taking classes, becoming educated, um, talking to more people, talking to more people of different backgrounds, um, making friends of different backgrounds. It just started to open my eyes to actual race issues. I, growing up, never heard anybody being like openly or blatantly racist. Like I've never, never heard anybody use the N-word or say negative things. I'm sure things seeped in there just from society. You know, I know I've got biases just because we all do. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I remember once I moved down to Virginia, 
I remember hearing the first actually like openly racist thing and it was so jarring and shocking and do you, that really I mean, do you remember exactly what it was? I remember exactly, yes. Yeah. So I guess this is probably one of my stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, story, story. I, I, we were out to eat with a group of friends, um, Justin, some of Justin's high school friends, and one of his friend's wives. We were eating uh, at Buffalo Wild Wings, and um, an African-American family walked in, and I remember her saying, oh, it just got really dark in here. And I was just so, like my stomach like flipped over, you know, and I was just like, what? That was the first time I'd ever heard just an openly racist comment. And I remember then like looking at, you know, everybody else at the table and to see if they were looking as shocked or feeling as shocked as I was. And they all just kind of like laughed it off and moved on. Um, and I remember saying to Justin afterwards, I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe she said that. Did you hear that? And and he was like not shocked at all. He's like, I hear stuff like that all the time. And I'm like, really? What? <laughs> like, so awful. Like, we have, why are we even pointing out that there, it doesn't matter? <laughs> you know, right. Right. family can eat there too. Uh, so anyway, um, that and was it, probably my first experience with that. And in some ways it like, it, it, I mean, you, I wouldn't necessarily think that you and Justin grew up very differently, right? Right, I mean, right similar age that, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, everything you've described, I think would be similar about his, uh, his experience, but, but it was different. It and, was different. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of naming how, how different communities were, or even different neighborhoods, I think, yes. um, treat race is, yeah. is important. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, you know, looking back now, my, my community growing up probably was colorblind. You know, we just didn't talk about it. I didn't hear anything blatantly racist, but we didn't talk about race at all. Right. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. you know, areas of the South, it was, it's more, I don't know, typical to hear stuff like that. And that just was like, oh, what? <laughs> right. So. And, and so, and let me pick up on that colorblind comment, because that's, yeah one of the things we asked is, you know, that's something that, that we say, you know, that I say, I'm not racist, I'm colorblind. Um, I don't see race. What, how do you react to that now? Well, <laughs> um, I feel like I even have a memory from my childhood of being told that we should be colorblind. Um, yeah. Just don't see color. Everybody's the same. Um, and I think that that comes from a place of good intention, but then, <laughs> After, I know, um, especially in grad school, I, to become a teacher, I took, um, we had to take two courses actually on inclusion and diversity in the classroom. And so we were taught all about, you know, terms like that. And, and it just like, so eye-opening because it was like, we can't, yeah, you're right. We can't be colorblind. We can't pretend that we're not that there aren't different kinds of people with different kinds of backgrounds. Like it's, it's a good thing that we're different. <laughs> like right. we right. don't have to pretend like we're all the same. Okay. As long as you're not in, implying that one type of person is better than another type of person, you know, it's, you don't want to be colorblind. You want to acknowledge the differences um, and celebrate them and talk about them and talk about possibly the inequalities that are there and the inequities so that, you can fix them. Yeah. Um, so after learning about 
that and then kind of applying it to my classroom and also seeing some of the stuff in my classroom, you know, it just makes no sense to try to be colorblind. Um, and I remember many instances of like the, my students, you know, we would be reading a book or something and I would say, so-and-so, um, this is um, a black woman and blah, 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 blah. And they would be like, oh, you're racist. <laughs> and it was like, um, no, <laughs> you can point out that someone's white, that someone's black, that someone's Hispanic is not being racist. Um, if I was implying somehow that that was, that was bad or that there was a, you know, if I was saying that they were not as good as the white characters or something, then it would be racist. But, um, so yeah, <laughs> that's kind so of my take on that color. That brought up another question for me. Yeah. Um, and you can't, I know you can't speak about any of the students you teach directly, but you've been an educator in um, public school and in private school mm -hmm. um, here in Richmond. What, what's been the, the kind of the makeup of your classrooms? I mean, what's your experience as a teacher? Um, so when I was student teaching up in outside of, so I was in like Silver Spring, Maryland area. So outside of DC, it was majority Hispanic actually at that school. Um, and then I, I'd say then out of what was left, um, it was majority black. There weren't very many white kids at that school. Then down here, I, went, I taught um, here in Henrico County and it was, it, you know, more mixed than some schools, but still majority white. <laughs> um, and then my current school, same, I'd say still majority white. Um, Mm -hmm. at the school I teach at now. So yeah, so I kind of have um, had a couple different experiences, but most of my experience has been with majority white kids. <laughs> and, and then so part of your role as an educator for those children is to um, help move them beyond colorblindness. Exactly. And yeah, um, I have tried, you know, I teach, I teach English, well, I teach reading now, but um, I've taught English for most of my teaching career. And so, of course, a good way to do that is through books. <laughs> so, you know, we would read, um, one of my favorite books to teach was um, Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster Boy. Uh-huh. Barry Schmidt. And it's about a friendship between this little white boy who's the son of a um, pastor in this little town up in Maine. And then um, a little black girl that lives on a, um, an island nearby that her and her family have lived on for generations, like since um, the end of slavery. Wow. And of course, everybody in the town is super racist <laughs> and <laughs> doesn't like Lizzie hanging around. And so the, the boy, you know, has to um, kind of, you know, learn and defend um, his friendship and he learns about racism and how it's bad and all this. Anyway, it was a really good way to teach a lot of that to yeah. our kids. Um, so what age group is that one? for middle school middle school yeah that's okay like, so we could put that i mean we could also then put that on an adult reading list um well, that's such know, a good book, books yeah. suggested by well-born folks to well-born folks um, <laughs> right, good we'll curate that excellent yeah. i love it so um you've mentioned the word privilege a couple times yeah. so far but when somebody says white privilege to you um mm -hmm. what do you think of and also what emotions do you feel um <laughs> i think of me <laughs> because I have white privilege <laughs> and I know that um 
talk about that. I mean, how do you name yeah. that? I think that's something when I have said to other people, mm-hmm. um, well, I've got white privilege. They yeah. kind of look at me. I mean, how, how would you, they look at me strangely. Right. How would you talk about your white privilege? Um, so the most basic way that I've talked about it with people who are asking me about it is like, okay, we all have problems in our lives. We all have struggles, things we deal with and everything. But um, one of my struggles is not the color of my skin or is not caused by the color of my skin. My whiteness (laughs) gives me um, immunity (laughs) from a lot of the problems that people of color um, face. and for me, like, I, I know that, like, for instance, my family, you know, we were able to, um, you know, my grandparents and their parents were able to buy homes here in America and build wealth. And Justin's family was too, you know, and his m- grandmother was able to own a home and then, you know, gift it partially to us. And we were able, and that to then, you know, fix it up and resell it and make money and build wealth. And I know that a lot of people can't do that. And I recognize how lucky I am that I get to, that I can do that. And um, just because of, I know our, you know, housing system and inequalities in the system, in our housing system, um, a lot of black families aren't, have not been able to buy and own a home. And so then they can't pass wealth on. So I see that that example so clear in my life. Like this is what I'm able to do because my ancestors were white and were allowed to buy homes <laughs> and therefore I can accumulate wealth and therefore I can have this house and do well. And, and others couldn't because of the color of their skin. They were, you know, the redlining and just, um, just being um, not given loans and all that stuff so that they couldn't purchase homes and build wealth. That's just, you know, one big example I see in my life of my white privilege. That is a big one. You're right. You're right. Same thing. Um, how does it make you feel? Um, it makes lucky. And also, you know, a little guilty sometimes because it's like I have, I have these things through not necessarily, I mean, I, I know tons of people that work just as hard as me or harder and they don't have these things, you know, so I feel like some, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. Um, and I feel like that, that I can have these things just because my family was able to accumulate wealth because they're white, you know, yeah. so a little bit of guilt. Yeah. Or, or discomfort or, uh, and, and so, so what's, as a person of faith, what's your response? Um, is that what, what, what can we do? Um, I feel like what we can do is to try to illuminate others about Mm -hmm. the fact that they are privileged for one. And then take some of our privilege and use it for good to try to help others that don't have as much or that couldn't have as much (laughs) Um, to try to give back, um, use some of our privilege to benefit others. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) 
Are you ever worried, and, and this is a worry that, that I confess that I have, are you ever worried about getting it wrong? Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. Though recently, I feel like less, I've become more brave about that than before. Um, just because I just feel like, I accept that I'm probably gonna say stuff wrong sometimes. Um, I might say something that offends somebody or somebody takes something that I say incorrectly, but I feel like I'm willing to take that risk now because I really just feel like I have to stand up for my, what I believe is right. Yeah. And say, staying silent will be worse <laughs> than getting it wrong. And, you know, I'm okay if somebody says to me, hey, that was not the right way to say that, or that wasn't okay, or did you mean this? You know, I feel like I'm open to learning and growing. Um, and just, even just with time and maturity, you know, now I think as opposed to me in my like early 20s or teens, I just have more confidence in, yeah. I just need to say it if I believe it. And if I'm wrong, someone will correct me, but that's okay because like I said, I think staying silent would be worse. <laughs> yeah. It's sometimes hard to choose between yeah. getting it wrong or being quiet. And right. um, we all have to make different choices about that, but, right. but it is a hard choice sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a song in the musical Avenue Q, mm -hmm. uh, Everybody's a Little Bit Racist. <laughs> Yes. Um, I always just try to keep that in mind because I honestly think it's true. We all have biases. Um, and, and so I think, <laughs> I think we have to just be willing um, to have conversations and say things and, and, and as long as we can acknowledge when we have said something wrong or, or thought about something the wrong way, or if we can acknowledge that bias that we might have if you know that it's there, if you acknowledge it, and then you can work to try to correct it, that's the only way that we can um, grow and learn and get away from those biases. Um, and in part, that's also gonna require a shift in how we talk to each other instead yeah. of, of talking in an adversarial way um, to talk in a, um, I'm looking for the right word, in a, um, uh, well, in a, to have, Christian conferencing and, and right. approach each other in love. Um, An empathetic way instead yeah. of confrontational yeah. or, yeah. Yeah. So do you think that talking about race um, um, prevents unity um, and, and maintains that kind of confrontational division in our culture, or do you think that it can help move us toward healing? So I've seen a lot of people um, talking about how oh, this talk about race is just dividing us even more. And I've definitely seen that argument. And um, I guess my take on it is that, you know, when something is broken, <laughs> um, like if a house has a bunch of structural issues, sometimes it's easier, better, safer <laughs> to dismantle the whole thing and put it back together, you know, build it new. Um, and that's how I feel about, I guess, our society right now and our systems and that we have to confront this right now. We have to possibly take it all down, <laughs> take the monuments down, you know, mm -hmm. um, whatever we need to do to create healing and build it up better. Um, so maybe right now we, we are feeling divided because people obviously have different 
opinions on these things. And so, yeah, it, it's dividing us in a way for sure. Yeah. But I think that it's worth it. <laughs> And I think that as long as, um, like you said, if we can continue to have Christian empathetic conversations about our differences, then we don't have to let it divide us to a point where, um, you know, that we're just hating each other. Um, I, I feel like I will keep trying to have conversations with people who think differently than me and I'm not going to resort to name calling. I'm not going to resort to, you know, hating them or I want to hear what they say. And I feel like if everybody could take an approach that's similar, um, then ultimately, you know, we can fix these things and bring everybody together. But um, I think that ultimately all these conversations um, can bring us together instead of dividing us. The question is, will they? Will we lean into them enough so that yeah. um, that they that they will bring us together? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And hopefully <laughs> they will. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. We're so glad you've joined us for this episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with Each Other about race. We hope this conversation has made you think, and we invite you to pray about the questions it raises for you. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. If you would like to participate in a future episode, please contact us at Wellborn. I leave you with this Franciscan benediction. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Amen. Mm -hmm.